2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. We'll read verse 16 all the way down through the end of the chapter. We're going to focus on verse 16 today. And we're going to bring out the topic here, revelation, not imagination. Revelation, not imagination. That's the title of the sermon. I would like to mention, and many of you know this, but the sermons are recorded every Sunday morning. Just this one sermon is recorded. Right? We have the 10 o'clock time, the 11 o'clock, which is recorded, and then Wednesday is not recorded. Um, but this is found on the Sermon Audio app or also any of the iTunes players or podcast players. Um, it's broadcast on all of those. You just type in the name of the church, Sparrow Baptist Church, and you can find those and listen to them um, and previous sermons as well. Second Peter 1 and verse number 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We're studying the topic today, revelation, not imagination. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would bless now, not because I'm preaching. Father, I'm just a vessel. God, we have this treasure in earth and vessels, your word says. I pray that you would remember that my frame, Lord, that I'm dust. God, the excellency of the power is not of, of us. It's not of me. I need you. Not to do well that people would praise, but that you do well. Forgive me of sin in my heart of pride. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would have your will accomplished and speak to each and every person. God, there are people here today that are really struggling, deeply, deeply struggling. I cannot help them. Only your spirit can through your word. Perhaps someone is here today and they're not sure that they're saved. I pray that you would help them to come to that place of faith in Christ alone for their salvation. Help them to see their need for a savior. Lord, if we are basing the guidance of our life on imagination, I pray that you would help us today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and kindness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
I want to read a short passage from a book called Rowing the Atlantic. I've spoken about this lady before. She's British. Her name is Roz Savage. She rowed a rowboat, single lady, in an event uh, in 2016, rowed across the Atlantic Ocean in a rowboat. It took her 100 days, uh, just over 100 days, and she... Um, had been going through some things in her life. She started out when she was about 38, 39 years old, and, and this is when she did this. But I wanted to read just a short passage, and she accomplished an, an amazing thing. I mean, how many people in the world have ever done something like this? Very, 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 very few would tackle something like this, uh, and she accomplished it. But, but she, she says something that I think that we can kind of identify with here. Um, and I'm just gonna read one page. It says, for the first 18 years of my life, I had been to church every Sunday. A subtle pressure exerted by my parents that while I was living under their roof, that this was how it would be. I hadn't minded at the time. It was simply one of those things, like homework, that I was supposed to do. And it never occurred to me to question it. I didn't especially consider why I went or what it was all about. I barely listened to my father's sermons. Her dad was the pastor in a Methodist church in England. I barely listened to my father's sermons, allowing his words to wash over me while I gazed around the interior of the church and daydreamed in my materialistic, aspirational way about how I could convert it into a designer home, install a floor to create a loft room under the vaulted wooden ceiling, keep the pulpit as a quaint feature in the living room, create a kitchen in the vestry, sink a swimming pool in the Sunday school hall. When I went away to college in Oxford, I lapsed. Rather like my relationship with my parents, my relationship with any kind of a God became respectful but distant. Spirituality seemed irrelevant to my life and I stopped going to church. It had been only since then that I had started to ask what, if anything, might be the purpose of my life and had started to give fresh thought to spiritual matters. I'd had enough of organized religion in my childhood and hadn't found anything there that appealed to me, but I did feel the need for some kind of spiritual dimension to my life. For many years, I had worshiped at the altar of materialistic ambition. And now that I had turned my back on money as a guiding principle, I needed something else to provide purpose and direction I needed to evolve my own personal credo. Now, before I finish this last paragraph, I want you to think about just for a moment what she's saying. She grew up going to church. She grew up going to a church that in some ways or in a lot of ways, she doesn't describe completely, but gave the gospel, preached the Bible. But because of life and getting away from God in college a little bit, just kind of experiencing everything and kind of making her own decisions, she got married and she was in love with making money. She lived in just outside of London. She took the train in every morning when it was dark, worked at these big banks, and, and she was just living for materialism, according to her book. And she realized that how shallow that is, that the more she got, the emptier she felt, essentially. So she started reaching out into other things in order to feel something, and she eventually got into uh, committing adultery, 
in order to feel something, according to her, that she wasn't even necessarily in love with this guy. She was just trying to feel something. And then she ends up getting divorced from her husband. And now she's on a search. She's searching. And she's rejected whatever in her childhood. She never says anything bad happened. She just said she didn't feel anything there that she connected to. So she says this, after much reading and much thought, I had arrived at a personal belief system that worked for me. To my way of thinking, it made logical sense and intuitive sense. It was an intensely personal code, not aligned to any of the recognized global religions, and it valued what could be learned through direct experience of life in all its aspects, physical, psychological, and spiritual, rather than what, I, than what could be learned secondhand through religious scriptures and preachings. I didn't want my faith to be filtered through human interpretation. After so many years of conforming to other people's expectations, I had rebelled against being told what to do, how to act, or what to believe. In any aspect of my life, this was partly what brought me out here onto the ocean. I hoped for an intense experience that might prove I was on the right track. We're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, imagination, experience, tradition, or revelation. We all base our guiding principles and codes of conduct and belief system on something. Some people go so far as to say they don't believe in a God, they don't believe in anything, they don't believe in science, even to that point. They, just, they don't believe in anything. This all, and, 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 and there's a lot of different explanations of what some people say. And then there's some people that they, 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 they only pick one and they say, this is it, this is all. And we need to know as Christians, not only for our salvation and for our worldview, but we need to know from our guiding principles through this life and on after death, what are we basing our belief system on? Peter, in 2 Peter chapter number 1, says in verse number 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. He's talking about that life is temporary, right? He's talking about his, his body as a tabernacle, right? As a tent. I took uh, my son Marcus tent camping this last week. We went for two nights. And uh, I'm telling you what, there's something, he, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is, and he's seven, he's going to be eight in just, a, in just a couple of weeks. But one of the questions he asked, we went to two different campsites. One was Grundy Lake. Right, a backcountry camping site at Grundy Lake, which is about three hours north of the city, um, and uh, and they've got all these signs up, you know, watch out for bears. And when you arrive at your campsite, they have this big steel chest, big steel box, and you have to put all of your food and soap and shampoos and even like the fuel for your stove, everything that smells like something other than clothing, apparently. You have to put in this giant box because uh, so that bears can't get to it. 
And of course, then you pitch your tent not too far away, which is not comforting. Then we go to another campsite the, ne- the next night, you know, because uh, it's a super busy weekend. So we're just trying to, w- what campsites are available? So we picked that one, had a fantastic time. No bears, praise God, no bears, right? Um, uh, then, then, we go to, <laughs> then we go to the next campsite. Now, uh, I'm just going to talk to you just for a moment about the conversation Marcus I, and I had in the morning. Because he woke up several times, Dad, I'm scared, Dad, I'm scared. I'm like, Marcus, I'm kind of scared too. I mean, like, you know, hey, hello, bears. Bears. Right? And it's like, he may may not want the beef stew. But what do I smell like? That's what I want to know. Like, do I smell like food? I just had food. Do I smell like food? You know? Dad, is there going to be bears tomorrow? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well... But it's in the name. And the second campsite we went to, the, pro- the name of the provincial park is called Kill Bear. Now, it could have been named Bear Kill, <laughs> but, but it was Kill Bear. I'm like, Lord have mercy. So I, I mean, I was desperately trying to talk him out of even going because we didn't sleep well the first night. I'm like, Marcus, come on, let's just go home. I'll get you Tom's Dairy. If you haven't been to Tom's Dairy, it's really good. I'll get you Tom's Dairy. You can sleep in my bed with me. We'll go home and have a good night's sleep. It'll be amazing. Big crocodile tears rolling down. No, I want to go camping. I want to go. But he asked the question as we set up the camp for the second night in our little tiny four-man Coleman tent. Um, so does this kind of protect us from... I'm like, mosquitoes is all about this does. It protects us from mosquitoes. That's all it does. Bears are not going to be stopped by the Coleman tent if they really want in. But we slept really good. Praise God. Did you at least get bear spray? We did not get bear spray. No, we don't, we don't do bear spray. We just, we just go for it. We just cast, cast the dice and see what happens. Maybe next time. It's not a bad idea, actually. So all that illustration is talking about, Peter's talking about tabernacle, temporary. Right? When we're talking about a belief system... We all recognize that we are, we are not here forever. We're not here on this earth forever. And Peter transitions from this verse. He says, I must shortly put off this my, tab- this my tabernacle. And then he goes into verse number 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Now remember, he's speaking this in a, an environment. When, whenever we talk about scripture, we always need to make sure that we go back to the historical context. Now, we do this when we're reading Shakespeare. We do this when we're reading the Iliad or the Odyssey or something way back in Greek mythology, something like that. We always do it. We need to make sure we do that when we're reading scripture as well. So when he's talking about we have not followed cunningly devised fables, he's referring to um, in in the Gentile uh, area there in the the Roman Empire, he's referring to the Greek mythology. The, The Roman Empire had adopted many of the Greek gods and goddesses and their belief system. And then they began to kind of come up with their own Roman gods and goddesses as well. And it was all fictitious, right? None of it was real. They did not even pretend to necessarily say that any of these people had walked the earth. For the most part, these were just myths, but they believed in them, right? And they worshiped uh, these gods and these goddesses. And of course, even today, there are the ruins of many of the temples 
there in the in the Roman Empire. But Jesus is uh, Peter is sitting here and he's trying to say, and he goes through a couple of these things, and he says, "We have not followed cunningly devised fables." And then he says in verse number 16, when we make known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, uh, when, 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 when we originally preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, he, he, he said, um, uh, where am I in verse number 16? Uh, he said, I made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get into that in just a moment. But then he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he goes into uh, the experience where they had on the Mount of Mount, uh, Transfiguration, where Jesus was transformed before them. We'll get into that a little bit later. But they heard the voice uh, from, from heaven that said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And he goes through all of this. So he's, first of all, he talks about imagination. And then he talks about experience, right? And then we will get in later uh, in, in the coming weeks into the tradition part, because it's important for us to, to go through each and every one of these things. But then he comes to verse number 19, where he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, where unto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. He's talking about this is not imagination. This is revelation. He said, yes, we had experiences with Jesus. We had experiences with him. We were eyewitnesses. And then he gives us the instance of the experience that they had. And that was just one experience out of, a, out of three and a half years of experiences Right. Um, and, and, he, and he doesn't even go through all of those experiences. He just names one. He said we had experiences. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he said, but there is something that is even more sure than imagination. There's something more sure than experiences. There's something more sure than tradition. There is something that is more sure. And that is the revelation or that is God's word. And these, and these phrases, um, it says uh, in verse number 19, is talking of God's word as a more sure word of prophecy. That is one um, uh, phrase uh, that is used to describe the word of God. In verse number uh, 20, it's talking about prophecy of the scripture. Okay. And then in verse number 21, it also talks about prophecy once again. And this is one of the ways that we know that the word of God can be trusted is because of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Okay, it's not just cleverly devised fables, which that is some people's way of dismissing the Bible. Right. Oh, it's just they're just cleverly devised fables. It's just these are just myths. These are just these are just fables. These are just stories. And Peter's saying, no, 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 these were things that, this, these are eyewitness accounts. And we'll get into that um, a little bit later as well. But um, it's so important for us to realize that we do not base the guidance of our life on imagination. We're just going to take a moment. And I looked up the word imagination. This is interesting. I look at the word imagination in scripture. And it's interesting how much a part imagination has played throughout biblical history. We can see from the very beginning, imagination has played an enormous role. Now, before we get into the imagination, I want us to see just a couple of scriptures 
that show us that it is revelation, not imagination. Look at John 20, John chapter 20. We're going to use our Bibles a little bit. We're going to use our Bibles the whole time during this sermon today. Revelation, not imagination. John 20 and verse number 30 says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. God does not want our faith to be left up to our imagination. He doesn't want it to be left up to just an eyewitness account. And he certainly doesn't want it to be left up just to tradition. He has given us the revelation of Jesus Christ recorded in the word of God. He said these things, once again, verse number 31, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. We'll look at one more scripture before we start on the study of imagination. First John 5, first John 5 and verse 13. This is a pretty famous verse. Some of you may have memorized this one. 1 John 5 and verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. What does he want us to go back to? If we want to know that we're saved, if we want to know that we believe in Jesus and that Jesus has saved us, and then the next verse talks about, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us talking about our prayer. If we, Listen, in those times of doubt, in those times of fear, in those times of is God real? In those times of, am I really saved? In those times of, is this really true? Peter said, hey, I was there. These are not cleverly devised fables. He said, uh, let me tell you about my experiences. But then he said, I'm not wanting you to base your faith on my experiences. I want you to base your faith on the revelation of God, which is the word of God, the more sure word of prophecy. Remember, no matter what's going on in your life, your experience is not the foundation of truth in your life. It can't be. Well, pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I know. But there's something that is deeper than that. And it's not based on the experiences of the apostles. It is God himself that used the apostles, revealed himself to the apostles and to the prophets in the Old Testament. And then he comes through and he says, you're going to write this down. And we have a more sure word of prophecy. If we're not careful, we will start to, even though we believe in God and even though we're Christians and we try to be good people, it is very easy for us to drift into the area of imagination. My imagination now is exactly uh, what I'm basing my life on. If you look up the word imagination, now not the Google definition, 
right? Because that probably says something about creativity or something like that, which is fine. We're talking about the word imagination in, in scripture, right? We're, we're defined it from the Greek. So when we're talking, that again, that's such, such an important thing. If we're, if we're going to understand the Bible correctly, we can't just Google the definition and say, okay, imagination not, nowadays means something different than what they're talking about back then. Okay. The definition is the thinking of a man del- deliberating with himself. So it means inward reasoning. Questioning about what is true. Hesitation, doubting, disputing, arguing. It's the internal dialogue. It's not just the creativity side, but we've got to understand the creativity side can certainly come into play, can it not? But it's me just standing back in, in the book on, uh, on, uh, on Ross Savage. It's that where she's just like, I'm going to step back and I am going to look and decide for myself. I'm not going to look into whether or not God's word is revealed truth. She didn't do that. She just said, I'm going to step back completely and decide for myself what I think is true. So then she is the test. Her imagination is the test. And men and women, this globe over throughout all of time, have rejected God's revelation and said, I myself am going to be the test. What happens when we do that? Let's look at in scripture what happens when we ourselves decide. Without any help from God or without even discerning whether or not God is speaking. If we are going to be the test. Genesis 6. And verse five. Genesis six and verse five. Now Genesis six is going really far back in human history. Really far back in human history. This is all the way back in the beginning of the Bible. I mean, creation was just a couple of chapters before that. And let's look at what the imagination, the role of the imagination versus revelation. And what path are we on? Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your savior. I, I would like to challenge you today. Now, this, is, this, is, this, this, ser- this one sermon is a part of a series on the reliability of the scriptures. It's impossible for me to include everything in one sermon. So we're just focusing on the one point today is that so many people nowadays, they, it's like the, um, it's like the, uh, the, uh, the food court at the mall. You go to the mall, it's like, oh, pastor, none of that's healthy, which is probably true. I took Marcus there this week. Oh my word. My stomach hurt for hours after Right? You've got you've got this kind and 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 this kind. I mean, there's like a dozen different and people can do that with their with their spiritual beliefs. They can just Google things and they, oh I think that that sounds good to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll pick some of that and I'll pick some of that and I'll pick some of that, I'll pick some of that. And then they're wondering why why isn't why isn't why isn't any of this working? Let's see what happened in Genesis six. Genesis six and verse number five. Genesis six five says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Now, if we go back to Genesis 8 and verse 21, we see another verse here, very similar. This is after the flood. After the flood, Genesis 8 and verse 20, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. So from before the flood, he's saying the whole mess that the world found themselves in that deserved righteous judgment from God was because they followed the imagination of their heart. And it tended towards left unguided, the human heart slides into evil. It slides into evil. And God judged the earth. And then after he said, man's heart is still the same. Our hearts unguided are still the same. We can see here that it describes, this is the story of history. Our imaginations need to be guided by God's word and not by our own heart alone. We, we see that when, when they trusted the imagination of their own heart, it was a world of violence. It was a world of unbridled lust. There is an incredible contrast between the imagination of the evil heart and in following God's word. God's word was rejected in favor of the imagination. Imagination for guidance uh, became evil. It became hurtful to self and hurtful to others. Imagination for spiritual guidance brings judgment from God. If we take the time and go to Jeremiah, we'll look at just a few more verses. Jeremiah, the word imagination and following the imaginations of their heart comes up no less than five or six times. And I didn't even, I didn't even uh, uh, note every single time. But if we look at Jeremiah 7 and verse number 24, Jeremiah 7 and verse number 24 Verse 21 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearken not nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart and went backward and not forward. We see, look, we, and we'll look at one other in Jeremiah and then we'll get into the New Testament. He's describing what happened. So we've got, we've got the flood in Genesis 6. Then he's describing what the children of Israel did when they got into the promised land. They, they knew God's word. They had access to it. They were taught God's word. They knew about it. And they, and they kind of pulled back and they said, I'm going to reject what God says. Look, if we have doubts, we need to dive in further and investigate. The truth is not afraid of questions. 
It's God does not expect for us to mindlessly follow a shallow gospel. He wants us to dig deep. He wants us to investigate further. Study to show thyself approved unto God, he says. He says he wants us to know the doctrine. He wants us to know the truth. And in time of doubt, we need to dig deeper into revelation and not fall back into imagination. What happens to somebody? What happens to a culture? What happens to a person? What happens to, in this particular example that is given, what happened to the nation of Israel when they said, I'm going to fall into my imagination and the counsels of my own heart? Well, it brought God's judgment. It brought God, it brought enslavement. It brought sin. It brought treachery. It didn't bring peace to the country. It didn't bring peace to the heart. The opposite of what happened. And listen, they they also started borrowing all the different belief systems that they found around. That's what the imagination does. It sinks back. It rejects God and God's word. And it just begins to borrow and borrow and borrow and borrow. And it's all an attempt to please myself. Isn't it funny that when we talk about reason, God does not expect for us to ignore reason. God invented reason. It's what separates us from the animals in some cases. In some cases it doesn't. Sometimes you act worse. Right? Isn't that true? But it's so funny that sometimes nowadays people say, I don't believe in faith. I don't believe in God. I believe in reason. And they, they attribute all of the attributes of God to reason. Think about that just for a moment. Reason is omniscient. I trust in reason because reason knows everything. Oh? Is that true? Reason is, is, is omnipresent. It's everywhere. It knows all things. And it's all powerful. See, that's just simply not true. Reason is what reason is, but it is not God. People want to worship at the altar of reason as if reason is everything. But here's the thing is that, yes, we have reason. We have the ability to debate in our mind. But if we do that unguarded and un... Again, Marcus keeps coming up. I love Marcus. Marcus is awesome, right? And you should love your son. We like to go golfing. He and I. And he especially loves it when we get a golf cart, the little power cart. He'll do the walking with me, which is awesome and so much fun. But he loves it when we decide to get the power cart, which is an extra 20 bucks. And I'm not always in for the extra 20 bucks. I'm just like, no, you know what? We're just going to, we're going to get hamburgers later or whatever. Dad, can we get the cart? Can we get the cart? Sure. I'll tell you what, having kids teaches you so much about prayer. Because if they're being obedient and they're just asking, and they're even if they're like repetitive and maybe a little bit on the side of being really repetitive, but they're still being pretty good, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Man, it's so convicting because sometimes, uh, you know, God tells us you have not because you ask not. I mean, if you're basically being good and you're trying to follow the Lord, just ask him. You never know what he's going to say yes to. He's a good God. And he and Jesus tells us, look, if you being evil, meaning being sinners, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give unto them that ask him? Man, how convicting a thought is that? 
Dad, can we get Cokes? Now, sodas are not, they're not healthy. They're not even a little bit healthy. They're not even a healthy color. Most of the time. Bright orange, bright green, brown. Why am I drinking this crazy brown? Now, of course, hot coffee is a healthy color. Coca-Cola is not a healthy color. Amen. Coffee is, is natural. Coca-Cola is the furthest thing. Let's get a power cart. All right. So we get the power cart. Then after a hole or two, you guys know exactly. He's seven, almost eight. Dad, can I drive? I'm like, Lord. They, they didn't give us helmets. <laughs> but we're going to give this a try. Now it's hilarious, right? Because he's just tall enough to reach the steering wheel. And he's with the very tippy toe. Right? And it's funny. He can easily reach the gas pedal. He cannot easily reach the brake pedal. I'm not really sure how that works out. But man, and there's only one way to do it, right? He just mashes on the gas. He just, well, I mean, I'm like trying to hold on. The lad needs some guidance, right? And guys, we've got, we have got to accept the fact that we as human beings, we are amazing. God made us amazing. The ability for us to reason and figure things out and that curiosity and investigation. I mean, all of that has produced some amazing things. Things that we take for granted every, every single day and, and, and we don't even think about. And, 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 and maybe some people in a specialized, they know exactly how a cell phone works. And the rest of us, we just grab it and use it. And we search the internet. And how do those pages pop up? And why are the colors so clear? And why is there always a new one to buy? And we've done some amazing things. But unguided is so incredibly dangerous. In our imagination, when we say, my imagination, I'm just going to fully embrace my imagination. And in doing that, I'm going to kick dad out of the golf cart, so to speak. Well, how long is he going to last without crashing the thing and hurting himself? People want to rail against Christianity and say, well, if there's a God, why is there so much bad things happening in the world? How many people are following God? What are the bad things happening the bad things are happening in cultures that primarily are following after their own imagination. They have thrown off the guidance of the revelation of God's word. That if you can research it, does nothing more, but even more firmly establishes your faith in the word of God. That it is a more sure word of prophecy. It is. The more you investigate God's word and investigate the, the, uh, everything that surrounds God's word and the story of how it came to be and the prophecies and all these things, it is unbelievable that God took the time to do all this and wrote it down. And he's preserved his word from this generation and forward, the Bible says in the book of Psalms. And it can be proven over and over and over and over again. And the only reason somebody would reject the revelation of God's word is because they want to follow their own heart. 
That's the only reason. It's not because it can't be proved. It's not because it's not reliable. It's not because it's a fable. It's not because it's, it's, it's just something that somebody dreamed up over a period of, of generations and decided to pass down. And then we decided to, to come up with a religious system. No, 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 no. It is a more sure word of prophecy. But because of our sinful hearts, because we are broken sinners, there is an appeal to us to say, you know what? It would be a little bit more fun in life for me to concoct my own version of religion so I can pretty much do what I want to do. And then if I do something that's kind of bad, then I can come up with a religious way for me to kind of cleanse myself and kind of get back in good standing with the God that I concoct. You say, well, pastor, that's a little bit far flung. No, it's not. Let's look at John 3. We've got two more scriptures and we'll be done. John 3, we know verse 16, we'll read that for context. John 3, 16, but I'm looking at a verse, just a few verses below that one. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice verse 19 with me. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's not wrong to use your imagination. It's wrong for you to choose to follow your own heart because there's darkness you want to enjoy. And you can't enjoy darkness and be in the light. So you have to reject the light. I'm choosing imagination, not revelation. Now here's the thing, guys. When we get saved, you've accepted the light. You've accepted Christ. You've accepted the truth. It's not just accepting Christ into your life. It's putting your faith and trust in him as a person. Not in a religious system, no matter what the name is. It's accepting what he says here. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And in order for me to have a relationship with God, I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. Because without salvation, I will be condemned. And we've got to understand this. God never sends anybody to judgment. We send ourselves to judgment when we reject the light of the gospel. We do that. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We want to, we want to do what we want to do. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be told we're wrong. We don't want to be told that we have to change. And we don't want to be told that we can't save ourselves. So what do we do? We step back and say, I'm going to follow my own imagination. And then from that position of imagination, my own reason is now the test. Not, in, not using my reason to investigate the word of God in revelation, but sitting back and, 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 and saying, I, I'm going to follow my own heart. I'm going to follow my own imagination. And then we begin to concoct a religion out here. Last verse, Romans 1, 
Romans 1 is a dis- primarily a description of the Gentile Canaanite nations when Israel first invaded the promised land. Okay? So that is primarily what this is describing. It's describing those Gentile nations. And we're just going to look at one verse here. We'll look at Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 21. Romans 1, 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They didn't put him up. Glorify or glory is the attention, right? It's putting up. It's putting up for worship, okay? It's like shining the spotlight on. They glorified him not as God, it says, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. I'm choosing the darkness. In order to choose the darkness, in order to walk in my own imagination, I have to reject God and reject his revelation. But there's a more sure word of prophecy that can be followed. Listen, friends, if we are looking for the light, we have to look to the revelation. If we are looking for the truth, we have to look to the revelation. When it comes time for doubt, it is not time for us to investigate what may be true in all the other religions of the world, which can be done not by travel and not even by going to the library. We can just Google whatever. We can watch full worship services of whatever type of religion that we want. We can listen to all types of gurus, all types of teachers, all types of teachings. We can read all kinds of books. But listen, if we want to know the truth, we do not recluse back into our imagination and say, really what I'm doing is, I am choosing my own heart because there are some things I want to enjoy in this life and I don't want to be told no. And I certainly don't want to be told that there's a penalty to pay for following my own heart. And so instead, and this is what this is describing, they begin to change God into and worship the creature more than the creator. They begin to concoct a religion themselves. They begin to piece it together themselves and fueled by their imagination coming from an evil heart uh, which means sinful heart they are simply looking out and now you've got imagination and you've got myths and you've got mythology and every time there's a thunderstorm it's because Thor is out there and he's hitting something or there or there or there's a there's a uh, I can't even remember all the Greek gods and goddesses <laughs> um, the, and Thor is not a Greek one he's, he's from Norse mythology then you've got um, uh, who's, uh, who's, who's the guy that was ruling over the uh, uh, Poseidon or Poseidon or whatever the, right now yeah, I'm mispronouncing that one the, the, the guy that rules over the sea and, and you guys are like oh man you've messed this up so bad that's because I've been studying scripture not the Greek mythology um, but uh, anyway so right you, it, oh that's why that's happening Right? And the great spirit is moving. Or Thor is doing this with his hammer. Or Zeus is doing this. And so on and so forth. And it's like, oh, nowadays, you know what? We, look, nowadays, it's not so, as, so much as popular to be into the myth stuff. As much as it's like, oh, I believe in science. But then people are so superstitious at the same time. They're so incredibly superstitious at the same time. We'll get into that at another time. But it's just like, if we are going to follow our own heart and we go back to imagination, we're adrift. We need guidance. Here's just a few questions and we're, and we're done. 
Do you find yourself adrift? What do you do when you find yourself fearful? Anxious. Frustrated. What do you find your, what, what do we do? Do we just simply use our own reasoning and use our own imagination? Guys, we've got to understand. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, here's the thing about Satan, the enemy of our soul, is he loves it. When a Christian does not use the word of God, does not go to the more sure word of prophecy, but falls back on their imagination and he comes in spirit form and not in a spooky way, not like there's like this dark green mist that's moving. No, that that stuff's for the movies. It's through suggestions. It's through just suggesting a thought that casts doubt on the word of God. It says, yay, hath God said. That's what he says from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. He's casting doubt on a revelation and says, why don't we use our imagination and say, doesn't that sound like a whole lot more fun? Don't you know God is withholding some incredible things from you? You could be as gods knowing good and evil. And man, Eve just sat there and was like, yes, that's what I want. Give me more of that. And Adam followed suit. And now we're in this mess right now. Satan cannot destroy the Christian that constantly, habitually, faithfully, and daily falls back to the word of God. It's a more sure word of prophecy. It's bigger than his lies. It's bigger than your fears. It's bigger than what the boss is saying at work. It's bigger than the economy, praise God. It's bigger than this country. It's bigger than this world. It's bigger than this time. It is for all of eternity. And why aren't we trusting it? Why are we going back to our imagination? Why are we constantly going back to the ensnarement to say, I've got to figure this out. God says, no, you don't. Let me help you figure it out. And when we become saved, we've got to go to God's word. And God says, let me begin. God is so patient. He's so patient. It's like walking through the woods and being covered in one of those big, sticky spider webs. And it's like, ugh, and you don't even know where to start. It just sticks to everything and it's in your mouth. And that's what Satan's lies are like. And there are things that we believe in our heart and we think they're so true. Lies we believe about ourselves, and man, I've got to quit. Lies that we believe about God, lies we believe about other people. And God in his love and grace and mercy comes to us and says, no, no, let me help you untangle all that. Casting down the imagination. Listen, casting down, putting it back in its place. He doesn't cancel it. He casts it down to where it's supposed to be. He doesn't want to exalt itself above God, putting God down, exalting imagination. No, you put imagination down and you put God back up to where he is and you take revelation and it begins to say, no, 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 you are loved. You're accepted. You are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are not worthless. You are not, hey, you are not a mistake. I have a plan for you. I have a calling on your life. I have a purpose for you. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.